0: Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks, and enjoy the episode.
1: Basically, with empowerment journalism, the whole power dynamic of traditional journalism is shifted. We're really there as sort of the support for the storyteller and to capture their autobiographical story.
0: When covering a story, journalists often run the risk of overpowering the subject's narrative with the structure of their reporting, when they should be stepping back and giving their subject the tools they need to tell their stories themselves. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Brittany Dennison is the Deputy Director of the Global Reporting Center, The Center has recently produced a documentary series for PBS NewsHour called Turning Points, which uses the empowerment journalism model. Brittany's here to talk to us about that series and to explain exactly what is empowerment journalism. Welcome to the podcast, Brittany. Thanks so much. So Brittany, you said before we turn to the mics that you had, you've heard our podcast and so you kind of know how we start out things. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in journalism and how you ended up at the Global Reporting Center.
1: Sure, so I think you're probably the first person to ask me how I've gotten into journalism since my first day at journalism school. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I sometimes when I think back on it, I'm not even sure how I ended up here. But what I think happened was I graduated from my undergrad with an English degree and a fine arts degree. And I was sure that I was going to be a teacher. So I moved to South Korea just to sort of try it out and see what it was like to work as a teacher. And I was teaching English as a second language, but in a funny way, I sort of missed being a student. I loved reading and writing and losing myself in research. And so I started to think really hard about what kind of career would lead me to new discoveries and to an opportunity to spend more of my life learning. And I think that that's really what led me to journalism. And so I moved back to Canada and enrolled in a master's degree at the University of British Columbia and they have this incredible program that was formerly known as the International Reporting Program and is now known as the Global Reporting Program and that really drew my attention and it gives you a chance to spend a full year working on enterprise or an investigative work of international journalism. In my year we were lucky enough to travel to China to report on the emerging environmental movement and it was just this amazing opportunity to really dig in and, and learn. And after I graduated from my master's, I knew that daily news was not going to be my thing. <laughs> I wanted to be somewhere where I had that freedom to explore a story, to stay with it. And I know that those jobs are also few and far in between. But at the time, one of our professors at UBC was just starting to build the Global Reporting Center. And an advisor at the school had recommended me when our director, Peter Klein, was looking for someone to help out part-time. So I started working with him in 2014, just right after graduating. And I was working part-time while working some other jobs and just trying to fill out that sort of full-time schedule. And then when we launched in 2016, we had a lot of momentum. And so, yeah, I've been with the Global Reporting Center basically ever since I graduated from my master's. And it's been a really wonderful opportunity and place to work because Peter and the team are always willing to listen to new ideas and have new projects and there's this openness to experimentation and And I'm even working now with the Global Reporting Program as their multimedia producer. So in some ways, my story is a bit full circle, because I have both that career that allows me to discover and learn, but also one where I'm getting to work with students and help them grow and hone their skills. So yeah, it's been really great. And I feel like I'm really lucky to have found myself where I am.
0: We had Peter Klein on the podcast a couple of years ago. And I remember having a really great conversation with him. And he reached out to us about a month ago and said, Hey, you should talk to the people about the turning points program that's being produced with PBS Newshour. You know, this is something interesting, something different. And I've had a chance to to check out some of the, um, the videos that you guys have produced for that project. And it's really, really powerful. So but before we get into that, just could you sort of explain what is the mission of the global reporting center? What are the types of stories that it does?
1: Yeah, of course. So We've definitely thought a lot about this. And I think, I mean, our small mandate, our sort of one-liner is global journalism done differently. And then when you expand that and what that means, it's, it's split into three distinct areas. So the first being the focus on collaboration. So... We work with journalists from around the world. We work with a variety of media partners, with researchers and scholars, which you know we're lucky based on our position at the university to sort of have this wealth of scholarship around us. And even now with this Turning Points project, you know, working with voice subjects, we we don't generally work with fixers. We you know use journalist partners. So collaboration is really at the heart of what we do, and I think that that sort of sets us apart a little bit because, you know, I think journalism's been shifting for a long time towards less competitiveness, more sort of working together in this idea that we tell better stories when we're, you know, not siloed off and when we're working together. And that's something that we really take to heart. And then the other sort of areas that, you know, set us apart are that Experimentation, innovation, sort of area where we try to do our journalism in different ways and we're open to new methods. And, you know, new methods don't always work out. Sometimes they fail. And for us, that's okay because we just want to be able to experiment and try new things and see what works and take those pieces that are successful and, and bring them to a new stage. And then the last focus is on our education avenue. So on that global reporting program and bringing on students every year to work with us. When we have big projects in production like Turning Points, we like to give students opportunities to work on those projects in meaningful ways and allow them in on the production process so that they really get that experience when they're going out into the world. They have these pieces that you know they can point to and say that they've worked on.
0: Okay, so now, is it fair to assume that the the Turning Points is a collaboration that you're doing with uh, PBS NewsHour?
1: Yeah, so it's in partnership with PBS NewsHour. We originally didn't bring on a media partner at the beginning, and there were a couple of reasons why we didn't do that. First, because we weren't really sure this method was going to work, (laughs) empowerment journalism model was very new to us. And so we wanted to make sure that we had that freedom and adaptability to sort of shift and change and potentially fail if it was going to fail. And so we didn't bring on a partner from the very beginning. We've actually been working on this project since 2016. And so when we finished up with the videos, we started to think more bigger picture about Where we might be able to partner with and who we might be able to partner with. And it was actually Peter who, you know, really pushed for us to consider a larger broadcast. And so our partners, we refer to as storytellers. So our storytellers who are, you know, the subjects of the video, but also the directors of the video, it was really important to them that their stories get heard by a larger audience and that they really get out into the world to help potentially help others, help break down some stereotypes, and really, you know, reach as many people as possible. And so when we had reached out to PBS NewsHour, it just seemed like a really perfect fit. You know, we we spoke originally in the summertime, and and it was at a time when people were starting to question who is journalism for, who is journalism told by, and start, started to think more about sort of what your positionality is as a journalist and what role you have. And I think that that has been a really big conversation, especially in the US around Black Lives Matter. And so it seemed to be a really nice fit to have this new type of process in a time where we were really elevating the voices of our storytellers who are all Indigenous storytellers
0: you've touched on a couple of different things and I think we've kind of moved on ahead and we need to kind of step back a second. Empowerment journalism, you know, how do you describe that? And, you know, how do you sort of implement that, you know, in assignment like Turning Points?
1: To define empowerment journalism, I would go even further back to this idea of parachute journalism. And from the beginning, the Goldberg Reporting Center was really built on this idea of how do you rethink their traditional parachute journalism model, where we have an outsider who's dropping into a community, reporting a story, usually for audiences, back home, you know, back home is usually a Western audience, and often that approach leaves a lot to be desired in terms of missing context you know, the reporter might hire a local fixer, but the fixer doesn't necessarily have the same type of ownership over that reporting process. So sometimes what happens is that a journalist simply gets the story that they came for. And that story might be one that's been preformed in their mind. So there's not a lot of space to be open to new context or new possibilities and shifting and changing narratives. And that's just inevitable when you aren't living in a community or you're not from a certain place, you sort of have that outsider's perspective. And so we've really started to think about how do we reframe that model? And when you're reframing that model also, you know, who is your audience and how can you open up that audience so that it's, your reporting is also serving the communities that are being reported on and not just your audiences back home. And when we started thinking about Turning points, for example, that you know, that idea of parachute journalism has been especially true in the North. And there's been a lot of criticism of reporting in the North by journalists from the South. And in Vancouver, we would be considered to be journalists from the South. And in my opinion, it's been really valid criticism. It's also a place where, you know, new journalists will go to catch their first break, but often they don't stay that long. So there's a lot of turnover. And there's a lot of great local reporters in the North doing really important work and living and working in those communities, but there's still a lot of parachuting and a lot of taking those stories away from communities. So we started developing this model that we're, we called empowerment journalism. And the idea was to work together with your, who would be your traditional story subject. So it's almost like it's an autobiography for the storyteller. So, we had our team which was largely based in Vancouver and our team sort of worked as the producers of the pieces producers you know videographers editors but the story subject who is our storyteller was really serving as the director so they're involved in every single stage of that editorial process so we would sit down with them ahead of an interview and ask them questions like if you were us you know what would you ask yourself Or, do you want anyone else featured in the piece? Or, are there any places that illustrate your story? And then we'd also give our own feedback. We would say things like, you know, it seems like this place or that is really meaningful to your story. How would you feel about filming there? Or, we would make certain connections and say, you know, it seems like your story is about searching for identity. Does that framing seem correct to you? That's, you know, the lens we're going to use when we start editing. So basically with empowerment journalism, the whole power dynamic of traditional journalism is shifted. We're really there as sort of the support for the storyteller and to capture their autobiographical story.
0: Okay. And I think this is probably a good point for us to talk about the specifics of Turning Points. What is the story you're trying to tell and, and who are the people who are telling it?
1: Turning Points is, it was it was a really complex story. You know, it looks simple on on the outset. It's, you know, eight videos, eight storytellers. Each video talks about challenges and resiliency in indigenous communities in the North around alcohol use and emissions. But this project really started way back in 2016. So we started thinking about how we might be able to tell a story that is more nuanced and sort of underscores the complexity of addictions and alcohol use. And this has been a community and a story that has been historically misrepresented for a very long time. If you look back at the history of journalism, not only are stories about addiction and alcohol use heavily reliant on stereotypes. When you talk about alcohol use in indigenous communities, they're often, often the stories are outright racist. And they also, you know, miss context. They miss sort of the historical traumas that exist in these communities that have led to the challenges that they face. And so that was something that we thought about in terms of representation in the media and how we might be able to change that. And so for us, The empowerment journalism model really fit with this type of narrative because they're the ones with the lived experience they're the ones who are the most capable of telling their own story and so it really seemed to make sense to work together to sort of tease out all of this sort of background and information and context that follows their lived experience and So we started in 2016 with just even looking for funding for this project. And we were lucky enough to receive some funding from actually from our university. So the Peter Wall Institute for Advanced Studies is a center at the university or an institute at the university. And they had this grant called a solutions grant, which asks you to identify a challenge and then come up with ways to address that challenge. So we were pretty ambitious in the fact that we were saying, okay, well, not only are we going to look at the challenges of parachute journalism and parachute journalism in the North, but we're also going to do it on a topic that's been historically misrepresented in the media. And so we received that funding. And then we also got some more funding from our social sciences and research council, which is governmental funding through the university. And then from there, (laughs) we... We didn't start reporting. It seems like you know most journalism projects. You'd say, "Great, I got my funding. I know my topic. I know my story. I know my location. I'll just go out there and I'll start reporting it." We actually didn't do that. We decided that if we were really going to embrace the empowerment model, what we what we needed was a community partner and a community advisory board. So we started with that community building and building trust. So we were really lucky early on to bring in William Greenland as our community partner. William is Gwich'in from Inuvik, which is about 124 miles north of the Arctic Circle. And William was also a former radio broadcaster. So he really understands journalism. He knows what we're trying to do. And he was living in Yellowknife, Northwest Territories at the time and working as a counselor for an organization called the Arctic Indigenous Wellness Foundation. And he has a lot of lived experience with addiction. He actually became one of our storytellers as well. So William became an integral member of our team from the beginning and he was really important and an invaluable member of our team in terms of providing guidance, building connections with the community, helping us build out an advisory board. So we put together an all indigenous advisory board for the project with writers and journalists and healthcare workers. We felt like it was really important to have this board that could help guide us and provide feedback along the way with how we were doing this project in the process of it once we started out our reporting we were we had eight storytellers so eight people that came forward and said not only were they willing to share their story but they were willing to share in the process of putting that story together. And in some ways it's you know it's asking a lot of somebody. It's not just asking for one hour interview and then you know I'll go off and I'll write my piece and that will be that. It's asking for somebody to provide feedback, somebody to share their story, then also review all the pieces and editing and provide feedback and potentially provide more time. And so we were really asking people to join our team. From there, we started filming in 2017 and then it was an iterative process. So we would film and then we would, we would edit and start putting the pieces together. And then we would bring those pieces back to our storytellers and ask them for their feedback. And then we would incorporate that feedback. And sometimes that required going back and doing more filming. Sometimes it involved blowing the entire piece up and starting over again. But it was a really important process. And the process itself, I think, built a lot of trust with the communities. You know, we heard feedback from people that said, I'm just surprised that you're still here, you know, because for so long, journalists that have worked in Indigenous communities have sort of just come in and taken those stories away from them. And so the fact that we were still there year after year, I think, really built that trust with the community that we were working with. And then we also really benefited from an academic lens. We just came at this from every angle, basically. So we had, we brought in a PhD student whose name is Maya Lefkowicz, and she actually moved to Yellowknife for a couple months while helping to work on this project. And her entire PhD dissertation is actually based on the project and the methodology for empowerment journalism, which she really helped us develop and refine. And so... That was kind of the process of putting the whole project together. And then once the storytellers were happy with their videos, then we would finalize them. But at any point, you know, they had the opportunity to say, this isn't working. I don't want to do this and then pull out. So that didn't happen. Luckily we were, (laughs) we were able to get all eight pieces, all storytellers who are really happy with their pieces, but it was a very long process. And one that I don't think a lot of organizations would have the opportunity to do like we did.
0: I had a chance to look at three of the videos that you have online and they're, they're all very powerful. And, you know, they all talk about addiction, but because it's three different life experiences, they, they provide like insight to different aspects of addiction and how they, you know, have impacted their lives and, and where the, the people are kind of in their recovery. I found that really kind of refreshing you talked about parachute journalism where you go in you have this sort of preconception how difficult it is it to avoid that to make sure that you want to go in and you want to you want to do a story about addiction in, in, in indigenous populations and you're basically relying on the the stories of the individuals to really kind of tell their story but hopefully from that you know gain a some insight into a larger some larger truths about addiction how difficult was that as a journalist to sort of almost you kind of hand the the keys to somebody else to sort of they're telling their story you're there to help them but I guess how involved were you in crafting the narrative or was it really just kind of this is the story they're telling this is how we're helping them to tell it the best way
1: yeah, I mean, it's difficult, right? You're relearning something. <laughs> and you're relearning it against the rules that you've been taught. Journalistic ethics say you don't you don't run things by your story subjects. You don't involve them in that, you know, level of process. And so we were really breaking all of the rules with this project, and it is difficult to sort of retrain yourself and obviously as a journalist and a storyteller yourself, you have an idea of what you think is the best story. And so this is where that collaboration was really important. We definitely came in and said, "You know, here's what I'm hearing, or here's what I think the framing should be or could be, or would work best. And we didn't hold back in terms of our feedback and what we thought would work. We really wanted it to be a very open and collaborative process. And they were totally free to say, no, that, you know, that idea doesn't work or that's really not what I'm trying to get at. What I'm trying to get at is something different. And so it's really just about and having that open conversation and really listening. Some of the stories were pretty easy to put together. You know, it had, some of them had a really kind of obvious through line and didn't need to go through too many iterations of editing before, you know, we were happy and the storyteller was happy with the outcome of the piece. And others, you know, went through 10, 12 different drafts while we tried to figure out how to get it to where it needed to be. And sometimes it was about what is this story saying? So one of the pieces that's still upcoming, hasn't been broadcast yet, is Donald Prince. And his story really does have I mean, I think the interview with him, the very first interview with him was about four hours. Like there's a lot to his story. And so trying to figure out what elements went into the story was sort of what led to all of those iterations and all those drafts was every element tells a different story. And so what what is the piece that we're trying to put together? And sometimes it meant that we put it together and it didn't work. And we had to figure out why and what was... The purpose and who is the audience and so we would have those questions with our storytellers those are you know conversations that you have with your editor and with you know people who are focused on your social media or your audience building but we were having those conversations with our storytellers instead saying you know well who who does this reach you know are you are you trying to reach you know young people are you trying to share stories about lived experiences that are going to resonate with certain people. So for Donald, for example, he has a long history of addiction and being in and out of prison and he really did want his story to resonate with people who you know struggle with that pipeline to prison and really show people that, you know, there is another path. And so it was trying to refine his story and decide, you know, what parts of his story in terms of trauma or violence illustrate that in a way that serves a purpose. And so there were just a, a lot of conversations. And I think that um, I think that, that translates to any type of journalism we do. I think it's, you know, we come in and we do an interview and we interview for a story, but I think we should also be interviewing to just hear what somebody's purpose is in sharing that story with you. And that really becomes the heart of this project.
0: Yeah, the, the three stories that I saw, you know, they, they, obviously they're all about addiction um, and, you know, the, the, the individual's roles and their identity in, in the, the native culture you know, varies with their own personal life experience, but they, there's a lot of nuance in these. And what I like about it, this presentation is, it's non-judgmental. And then it's also not, it's not like heavily, you know, you're not advocating for something. You're not you know, pushing a particular agenda or idea. You're just having these people tell their stories. This is their life experience. And the power of their words and their experience and sharing their own story is the thing that that connects with the viewer and I think that's that's a really powerful connection uh, to make in 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 journalism Uh, and and sadly we don't we don't get that as much as we could I think that that you guys benefit from that just because of the structure of it the the personal narrative aspect of it uh, and also your kind of hands-off sort of production that you know, this you get a sense this is really about them and this is them talking sometimes. You know, it, in, in a regular news report, if it's a, a single profile or something, you know, it's it's framed a certain way and it has a lot of the feeling of whoever the storyteller is. But this is, you know, in their words, uh, <laughs> very podcast like, uh, yeah. which is something that I, I like about it. I particularly like the uh, the story that. Uh, who was the person Louise told uh, it, it was about her sort of coming to grips with how she had blamed her mother for so much of the things that had gone on in her, her life. And now she was taking care of her mother and how her kind of life and her perspective had changed. I thought that was really powerful. And the fact that you have another one, you have um, Devin, who's, who's a young adult, you know, I guess just fish, just finished university. You know, he's still, early in his life and has still have a a lot of life to live and has, has had so many lessons learned already. Um, So by putting these, all these pieces together, you kind of tell the bigger story. So I'm definitely looking forward to the, the other ones in there. What I wonder is, you know, I think you kind of said that, I mean, you clearly said that this took a long time. (laughs) This took years of work to get, to get basically, you know, a handful of, you know, six or seven minute videos. That's a lot of time and a lot of effort to create this project. Is this, is there a way, do you think for like a a news outlet to do this, you know, and turn around something that's a little more (laughs) quicker or, or may not take up so many resources?
1: I, I think so. I think that we, you know, we really did take our time with this and, you know, part of that was the, also the research angle of it. Right. So, Um, having a PhD student. We also did um, an independent evaluation of the project. We didn't want to just say, hey, we did this thing and we, and it works. We wanted to, (laughs) we wanted to have, you know, a sort of blind evaluation about how, went, what were the strengths, what were the weaknesses, so that we could essentially share those learnings with other journalists, with news outlets. And I think there are elements. I think we're not, you know, We're not naive. We know that, um, you know, you do the best you can do by deadline when you're working in a news outlet and there's always going to be parachute journalism. Um, We know that, you know, I think in my mind, when I think about parachute journalism, it often gets described in the sense of being a foreign correspondent and dropping into a new country. But I think, you know, parachute journalism is dropping into a new community. You there's always going to be underlying context and information that you don't have as somebody who's not from that community. And so, whether it's on the other side of the country or the globe or your own city, I think that there are things that you can learn. And so, what I think is, you know, it's that openness to just hearing the purpose of your story subject. You know, I think that having those conversations is really important. They have a reason why they're sharing with you that might be different than the reason why you want them to share. And so I think that having those conversations and, and coming to an understanding with one another is really important. And I don't think we take the time as journalists sometimes to do that. I think sometimes we know what we want from somebody and we go and we get it and we leave. And I also think that the other thing is, as journalists, our job is to minimize harm. And sometimes publishing is harmful. You know, sometimes somebody reads a story and thinks that doesn't reflect me. That's not what I meant or that's, you know, not my story. And this was something we heard a lot from our storytellers. You know, there was a lot of trust building that had to be done, which also took a lot of time for this project because so many of them had already had experiences with journalists that were not positive. And so we were coming from a deficit framing of here's what, you know, your experience has been in the past and and here's how we might do that differently. And so I think just taking that time to build trust with somebody, even if it's, you know, an extra hour out of your day is really worthwhile because you're coming from different perspectives and people want to be seen and you know, that means that you just need to take the time to understand their story and what their purpose is, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And what's really powerful about this is the lack of, I mean, if you watch them, you can tell that they're really well produced, that there were people who knew how to put these pieces of video together and what images are going to be best to focus on and to share the story. So you see those things, you just...
1: There are also things where I think we actually did a community screening, and this was also really important. When we asked all of our storytellers about audience, it was very clear that one of one of the main criticisms of how traditionally journalists have reported on Indigenous communities is that they take stories away. And our community partner William Greenland talked a lot about that, you know, that they come in. They take your story, they take it for their own means, and that's it. It doesn't serve the community. It doesn't follow their ways of understanding their own story. And so having that community screening being a debut was the really important because we wanted to make sure those stories lived in the communities and that they were first shown in the community. And so we brought together all of our storytellers, their friends, their families. We brought together advocates, policymakers, healthcare workers, and then just the broader community. And we did a full screening of all the pieces. And this was really just a way to make sure that those stories live there. And I think that journalists can also do things like this, right? Find ways to give your stories back to the community to make sure that those stories serve the community. And just Think through those things while you're thinking about publishing. I think that that can be really useful in just rebuilding trust with your story subjects, with the communities you're working in and reporting on. And it was a really successful screening. I think that it meant a lot to everyone who attended. We had a lot of people who stood up who had similar lived experience and talked about what this meant to them. And so I think. Thinking of things like that is also a way that you can sort of take lessons away from how you make sure that your stories are living in those communities that you're reporting on.
0: That's a really good point, because, you know, obviously seeing that it's going to be on PBS NewsHour, it's definitely going to go for go to a much wider audience. And, you know, as a journalist, a PBS NewsHour journalist, you're thinking, oh, you, you parachute in, you get your story and you come and you publish but because this is something that grew out of the community in those one-on-one conversations, yeah, I think it's a, it's a great idea to incorporate that. One of the things I've been thinking about their entire conversation is that this idea of empowerment journalism seems like another part of a larger conversation that's going on in journalism right now about how do we represent people who, whose voices are not being heard, whether it's through, you know, lack of diversity in your newsroom or, just not understanding what a particular community is and what strategies can we come up with that help us to sort of break down the traditional barriers or get out of these traditional models of how journalists cover stories. You know, just watching these videos, you can see, you can feel the power and the effort and everything that's in there. And the fact that you've connected it with the community makes it more powerful. If this is a national story, it's on a national outlet. There's this sort of sense that, yeah, that's who your, your audience is, the people watching that show, but this is, you know, for that community in Northern Canada. These are their stories and you're not taking them, you're sharing them and speaking to larger truths about about addiction and people's perception about indigenous populations. Good stuff. <laughs>
1: Thanks. Um, for sure. Yeah.
0: So, what, what are you working on next?
1: We always have a busy year at the Global Reporting Center. Um, we just actually wrapped up a documentary with uh, PBS Frontline. So, lots of PBS partnerships going on. So, we just wrapped up that documentary, and it was in partnership with Frontline and the Associated Press on medical supply chains. So we're still doing a bit more reporting around that. That was you know, a full documentary, but there was also a series of AP stories. And so we're still doing a bit more reporting around the medical supply chains. And we have a project coming out this month on, we actually re- received a, a leak of documents, financial documents about offshore assets from Jersey Island. And so we have a big investigation coming out this month on that. So there's yeah lots going on we have our student program that runs for the academic year so we have projects coming out about global education which is really interesting it's an interesting time to think about education and the promise of education and then we have you know projects coming out about land grabs so there's a lot going on a lot of different projects um some investigative some enterprise and again just you know, those are sort of longer term projects, give us lots of space and time for experimenting, for collaborating, for finding new methods. So exciting stuff.
0: <laughs> people can can view these videos online, and we'll share the, the link to it. And also, I guess, at PBS NewsHour. Is there a place where people can go to get resources about empowerment journalism?
1: Yes. So uh, one of the things we did in the four years we were working on this project was that we also wrote an academic paper. It's more featurey than academic given our backgrounds, but our research manager, Maya, she was the first author of this paper and then Peter and I contributed. And so it gives a sense of you know, what empowerment journalism is and what lessons that we learned from working on this project. So there's a paper that people can read if they're interested in the process. And then Maya's dissertation is forthcoming. So, you know, there will be some more sort of on the research side that's coming out, hopefully in the next year or so, about empowerment journalism as we continue to learn and hone this method.
0: Brittany, thanks for coming in and talking about this. I encourage people to check out the videos. Empowerment journalism is something that I think more people need to be looking into and thinking about. Thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it.
0: You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Duprey wrote our theme music. Emilia Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.